Sichas, volume 13, the second Sicha for Parshas Bahaloscha. This is rather a long Sicha, 10 chapters. I don't believe we'll be able to cover all of it, but we certainly will cover the bulk of it and most certainly cover the main point, which is to learn, to understand, and appreciate the concept of humility. In Yiddishkeit, in Judaism, this is a very prevailing and fundamental concept. One needs to be humble in order to achieve Torah. One needs to be humble in order to be close to Hashem. How do we do it? What is it exactly that humility means? In other words, what, how do you define humility? And by the time we're done the Sicha, we're going to actually find out and have a better appreciation of what humility is and that humility is not in any way and should not in any way be mistaken for or confused with low self-esteem, that's actually a problem. That's not a virtue. And moreover, how one can be humble and at the very same time be proud. In fact, we know as a Jew, you're supposed to be proud to be a Jew. How do we go about this? How do we do this? And of course, the best way is to understand it by learning from our Torah greats, from Moshe and so on. Also, along the way, we'll find out what the true definition of yirat chet, of the fear of sin, what it really means and how it could possibly be achieved. Let's jump right into it. Ayin Hei is acronym, Al HaPasuk, on the verse, It's quote in this week's Parsha, it says that Moshe, the man, the great man, the man of God, he was the most humble from all people that were on the face of the earth. And if you really start to analyze, it would seem that it's totally non-understandable. Why? And I broke this down into numbers. Number one. He was indeed the one who received Torah from Sinai. And Hashem taught him Torah for 40 days and 40 nights, and it was given to him as a gift. The sages tell us that really Hashem gifted the Torah to Moshe. Moshe, however, was so generous and considerate that he shared it with us, so to speak. Now Moshe knew this. Moshe wasn't, you know, oblivious to reality. He wasn't in denial. So he knew how special he is. That's number one. Number two, Vilifneza, and even prior to that, Hoitzi is Bene Yisrael, Me'eretz Mitzrayim. He was the one who was instrumental in taking the Jews out of Egypt. He was the Shliach. And Vahakodesh Baruch Hu Amaloi, Bechoya Miraloilo. And Hashem already told him then that in you they will believe forever. Meaning, he is a somebody. Number three, Even just now, in our parsha, we learn that any time he chose to do so, he would speak with Hashem. He didn't even need to have an appointment. He didn't even need to ring a bell or, 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 or look up a number. Number four, and he heard, in our parsha, he hears in this subject that they're going to impart from his spirit on the seventy elders, 
And he's not going to be diminished in any way. He's not going to be missing anything. In other words, he is so great. He is so great of a, of a prophet that even if they share it with 70 or more people, that from that prophecy, it's not going to diminish and not going to lose anything at all. Number five. Also, his value in terms of the rest of the people, it's like a nanny, it's like a nurse to a little toddler, it's like someone who's carrying, in other words, Hashem says, you are such a giant, you're such a great, to you, even the greatest of Yidin, which includes, you know, great Hamid Chachamim, were like little children compared to him. Therefore, how is it possible that he should be humble from all men living on the face of the earth? Which, simply speaking, means the Jewish people, but we know Chazal tells us, and take it a step further, and the Rebbe mentions it later in, a, in one of the footnotes, actually, Mikol HaAdam can also collectively be referring to all mankind, from any human being. How can that possibly be? How could you be humble? So the, the answer is explained. Number one, that while understanding the fact that Moshe truly knew, recognized and appreciated his standing and his great value and his tremendous mila, his tremendous greatness that he has over all other people, yet, yet he was able to be humble. Why? This is because he knew and he truly understood, truly believed. That all the various greatness that he possesses, all the virtues that he possesses, and that makes him greater than everybody else, it was something that was given to him from above. In other words, it's not his own doing. It's not that somehow he found this treasure on his own. It was gifted to him. It was allotted to him. That's number one. Number two, the Choshav and he thought, the Ilu Hayo Elu Hakoiches Eitzel Echad Acher, if these very same Koiches, Koiches means potentials, these very same abilities were in someone else's possession, that person would have also been on the same level in the same stature as Moshe. So Moshe believed. The Efsher and possibly he believed. The Acher, Moshe even thought to himself, perhaps if somebody else would have been given the same exact potential, the same exact opportunities, they would have maybe even done more with it than he had actually succeeded in doing. And therefore, therefore, he was more humble than anybody else. From the length of this explanation, it's understood. That when you look at it, when you understand this lengthy explanation, which actually is quoted from elsewhere, it's actually quoted from a mimer, you get an appreciation that it's not just that Moshe was kind of like superficially humble. 
but he was really humble and it does not deviate from the true and actual meaning of the word humility. What is the true and actual meaning of the word humility? To have true hachna before any other person. What is hachna? Well, hachna perhaps you can translate submission, subservience, inferiority. That somebody feels hachna, he feels less or he feels subservient to someone else. Hainu, I mean, Asher Akain. For therefore, therefore the Rebbe, in, the, in where he quotes from, does not suffice in just saying that he recognized and he thought and he appreciated that his virtues come from above. But yet he takes it further. Because that would only be a good enough reason for why not to be arrogant for why not to be feel greater and above anybody else because you say look what makes me a cut above everyone else is not my own is not my doing but the Rebbe takes more the Rebbe takes it a step further Umoisif, and he adds the F and it's possible so Moshe thought that if somebody else possessed these this potential, these opportunities, they would have done more with it. That this already becomes a reason that actually imposes on him not only a feeling of not being arrogant towards someone else, but rather, moreover, a feeling of subservience, true humility in the literal sense of the word. Avol, however, then Based on this, we need to understand. If you have to define the true greatness, what makes Moshe cut above everybody else, any other living person that ever lived, what is it really that you can define it with? The prophecy. That element of prophecy, that aspect of Moshe, puts him above and beyond anyone that ever existed prior to Moshe and after Moshe to the end of time. And as our Parsha itself um, um, describes, in the greatness of his Nevoah. And to the extent, as it says towards the end of Moshe, right at the end of Moshe's life, what does it say? Quote, Shall I come, Navi, Oid be Yisrael Kemosha? That they never ever stood up, they never ever appeared a Navi, a prophet like Moshe means, and that magnitude and that level. Nevoa is not something that comes by means of a person's avoida. Meaning, it's not something that you achieve on your own personal account that you're able to somehow, you know, be more diligent and more involved. And more and more um, uh, dedicated until you finally reach a point of prophecy. Rather, rather, This is a revealed attribute, a revered, a revealed, a revealed virtue that's given from above. And in this you cannot say, you cannot even fathom, 
you cannot even imagine that somebody else maybe would have done more with it. You see, the Rebbe stresses the word niglis. This is a revealed attribute. This is a revealed virtue. Meaning, when could you really say, when can you argue and say, look, maybe somebody else would have done more with it. Maybe somebody else would have done more with it means they would have revealed it more. They would have brought out the potential into reality more. That's only something that is somewhat hidden, somewhat discreet, right? Something like, you know, subliminal, a, a seminal thing. And then, depending on how well you develop it and how, what you do with it and to it, you know, will be the outcome. But something that comes from above, that's beyond the reach, beyond the capacity of manipulation of any sort, because it's a revealed thing that comes from above. This is the nevoah that you get, that you're given, okay? How then could you be in any way compared to anyone else? In other words, the Incain, and therefore, Why was Moshe so humble towards all other people? When it comes to the most important aspect of who he is. Yes, Moshe is about Torah. Moshe is about being a redeemer of the Jewish people. Moshe is about a leader of the Jewish people. Elsewhere we learn that Moshe also had the same status as a king. True, that's all true. But what is his main thing that puts him above and beyond anyone else? That's the prophecy aspect. That aspect is not up to anyone to ever have technically been able to do better than him. There is no better than that. Because what you're given is what you have. So why then would he be humble if this is who he is? This is the essence of Moshe, the great prophet. Says the Rebbe, This will be better understood by first introducing, prefacing, a interesting discussion, an interesting topic at the end of the Masechah Saita. Now it's interesting. Baha'aloscha is always read somewhat in conjunction with Shavuos. Typically, Naso is after Shavuos. However, Baha'aloscha is always read on the Shabbat that usually would culminate the week in which we finish, we complete the Yemei Tashlumim, the makeup days for Shavuot. Thus, there is some connection, you know, the, or, or at least simply the fact that Shavuos had just ended not that long ago, a week, a week and a half at most. And now we are there to implement and to make good on a recommitment to the Torah. Obviously, this is a very special connection. One of the things we do in preparation of Chagah Shavuos, of the receiving of the Torah, is we study Masecha Saita. So thus, the, the Siyum Masecha Saita has a very strong connection to this time of the year, and, and especially that this concept is discussed at the end of Masecha Saita and also in our Parsha. So over there we have a Mishnah Shem. There's a Mishnah that says the following. For when Rebbe passed away, Anova, humility, meaning true humility, and true Yirashei, true fear of sin, Gone. That era has come to an end. Of course, there are good people after that, but not on that level, not in that magnitude. Uve Gemara Shom. In the Gemara over there, it says, Omer le Rav Yosef letana. 
Rav Yosef said to the Tana, the Tana doesn't mean the actual sage of the Mishnah. Rather, the Tana means the one who was, uh, who was there, who knew all the Mishnayas, and he would repeat them. He would be the official reader of the Mishnah. He said to him, Do not learn, do not quote humility. When you say that, you know, these things came to an end, that era came to an end, do not say humility. You know why? I am here. The Ika no, because I am, I, I am, I am here. So now Rav Nachman, another Amay returns to the Tana and he says, Do not learn, do not quote that Yiras the fear of sin has come to an end. That era has ended. The Ika no, because I'm here. We need to understand. Number one. Shnehem, both of them. Who's both of them? Rabbi Yehiv and Rav Nachman. They were both in the same generation. See, sometimes we have in the Gemara, we have a discussion, or we have comments on the same topic, which appear succinctly, one after the other, but not necessarily what they said in the same study hall, or even in the same time period. It's just when the Gemara was written, it quoted it all in the same sequence. But in this case, we know that Rav Yosef and Rav Nachman lived in the same generation. And therefore, umistaber, and it seems rational, each one of them recognized and knew the virtues of his colleague. Like we find, we even find proof of this. Rav Yosef Amar Rav Nachman there's an elsewhere in a different Gemara. Rabbi Yosef comments on something Rabbi Nachman said, and he said on him about him, quote, Wow, he just would darshan those psukim as if it's just coming straight from Sinai. That's how great it is. So he recognizes qualities. And on the other hand, we find Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nachman referred to Rabbi Yosef as Sinai. Meaning his knowledge was so vast, his knowledge was so great, as if he is the source of Torah knowledge. So they recognized each other's virtues. And if so, Why is it that each one just referred to and stressed his own virtue, right? He said, don't quote humility, because I'm here. He said, don't quote the fear of sin, because I'm here. But didn't mention anything about the other. They did, why did they not say to the Tana, It would seem that they both should have said to the Tana, erase that, omit that, the entire stance, the entire stance, the entire statement of both humility and the fear of sin. Why? Because these these do, do exist. They said, we're here. And if one is speaking about his virtues and highlighting his greatness, should he not be speaking about his colleague's greatness? What does this tell us? Obviously, they didn't view it as such. And what we'll find out in the Sikha. Be is the second question. Since each one, what did they say? 
do not learn this, do not quote this, do not say this, meaning just omit this one thing, what does that imply? And did not say, in, just erase the entire sentence, the entire stanza. Miklau, from this can be derived, from this you can conclude, Shesavri, that they actually were of the opinion, that the other one did see to exist, that the other one is at the end of its era. In other words, according to Rabbi Yosef, you would have to say that the fear, the true fear of sin had ceased to, you know, that ceased to exist on that level of Rabbi. And according to Rabbi Nachman, Anova, Anova Rabbi Nachman. Rabbi Nachman, in his opinion, true humility no longer can exist. Even with the fact that he recognized Rabbi Yosef's greatness, and Rabbi Yosef is alive, still he didn't feel like it actually exists. The question that ever asks in the next paragraph, how can this be the case? There is a Brisa where Rapinchas ben Yoyer, Rapinchas ben Yoyer is a Tana, a Tanaic sage, certainly with more authority than Rabbi Yosi and Rabbi Nachman, and he says the following. He says, Anova, humility, brings one, means leads to the fear of sin. When one has humility, one ultimately will reach that point of having fear of sin. Question is, according to Rav Nachman, where he says the fear of sin still exists, then automatically, humility should exist. But he didn't mention humility. He didn't say erase the entire, the entire statement, the entire sentence. So how could it be that even though Rav Nachman cannot argue with Rav Pinchas ben Yor, because Rav Pinchas ben Yor is greater than him. Rav Pinchas ben Yor is from a prior period, from the Mishnaic period. How could it possibly be that Rav Nachman should not be arguing with Rav Pinchas ben Yor? And in other words, he would agree that ultimately humility leads to the fear of sin, and yet hold, be of the opinion that humility is no longer the way it was. How could that be? So, we're going to skip the third chapter. We're going to go to the fourth one. And I'm going to paraphrase this. The real question is, how is it that Rabbi Yosef says, don't quote humility, don't say that humility has ended, because I'm here. The fact that he is promoting his own humility, doesn't that smack in the face of humility? Isn't that the exact opposite of what humility is all about? So how could he have said that? You see, understand, when Moshe writes in the Torah, that's not Moshe saying it. In fact, we don't know. Maybe Moshe didn't want to write it. In fact, we have some accounts that Moshe was reluctant. He had no choice. Hashem told him what to write. It's not his Torah. But here, Rabbi Yosef volunteers this information. Nothing forced him. Nothing compelled him to say, no, 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 don't learn that. Other than the fact that it's true. But how is that true and consistent with what humility is? The explanation is, the Rebbe explains 
Humility is not shiflus. Anava is not shiflus. Shiflus means you feel low about yourself, low self-esteem. Shiflus means that you feel this inferiority, that you feel so inferior to everyone and anything. You feel like a nothing. Literally, shafel means low. You feel very lowly. That's not, that's not what humility is. Rather, humility means that you truly recognize your virtues. You truly understand and appreciate your accomplishments. However, the person who is an accomplished person and recognizes it as such could still be humble. Why? Because he does not pride himself. He does not feel arrogant and does not feel like, wow, look what I have accomplished. Look what I have did. Because he recognizes, he realizes that everything that he has and all that he's achieved is due to the fact that he was given the opportunity. He was given the tools, the potential to reach the heights that he reached. And therefore, comes to conclusion, like we said before, that if somebody else would have had the very exact same opportunity and circumstance, maybe they would have done not only as good as he did, not as only as well as he's accomplished himself, but even more. And that is actual humility of Rabbi Yosef himself. Rabbi Yosef felt that, of course, he knew he's Rabbi Yosef. He knew who he was. But he felt that somebody else maybe would have done better than he did. And this is exactly what Rabbi Yosef referred to when he said, elsewhere in a different Gemara, he said, quote, V'rav tevois b'koyachshar. V'rav tevois b'koyachshar means, it's an expression which means that you get better wheat with a stronger ox. Or the stronger the ox, the better the wheat, the more multiple the wheat will grow. What does that mean? Well, the better you plow, the more you reap. The more, the better it grows, the better the harvest. What was he saying? What he was saying is, yes, of course, there's a contribution in the terms of the effort that you put in. There's definitely a lot to be said and certainly this credit to be given for the one who actually the ox that puts it in. But at the end of the day, where does the growth come from? Where does the potential of the growth come from? Why does that wheat, so to speak, grow from the ground? Because of the ground, not because of the ox. Right? The fact is if the ox invested all that energy on a tiled floor, it's not going to grow. So therefore, he felt like, yes, I'm the ox. I'm the one who did the work. I'm the one who did the plowing. You know, put in the effort in learning, in, in improving myself, in, go, in growing in, in virtue. But where did that all come from? From that, from the plant, from the koyach that's there in the ground, or in this case, the koyach that was given to him from Hashem, the potential to be able to achieve this. However, the question is as follows. Rabbi Yosef learned so much Torah. Rabbi Yosef was called Sinai. He was like an encyclopedia. He was like Sinai. He was like the source of Torah for his time. That's how much Torah he knew. We know 
that when one learns Torah, it says the Torah is matzila. The Torah actually saves a person, protects a person from the Yet Sahara. That the person should not slip and do any sins. In other words, the Torah brings you to the level of fear of sin, of not doing any sin. So then the question is, how come Rabbi Yossi didn't recognize that he's also a Yerechet? That he also is one who possesses this attribute, this virtue of being fearful of sin. And he didn't quote it, he just spoke about humility. And because of this virtue, if you think about it, how did he achieve this virtue? How did he come to the point that the Torah now protects him from sin? Because of his doing. Because he worked so hard on being a student of the Torah. Because he put in all that effort, all that diligence. So he does deserve credit. So how could he even be humble? How could he even claim to be humble? Humble means you feel less than anyone else. Well, no one else did what you did. The reason why you have what you have is because what you did. And that no one else did. Maybe they would have done Mehudor, maybe they would have done less. But you need to give yourself credit. In other words, are you able to pat yourself in the back? Are you able to enjoy the fact that you have achieved that? What is going on over here? So the Rebbe explains that Rabbi Yosef's view, Rabbi Yosef's opinion of, quote, the fear of sin that comes about as a result of one's Torah study, of one's accomplishment in Torah, is actually not an absolute and total transformation. In other words, Rabbi Yosef obviously was humble, and this is the way he viewed himself. He looked at himself as one who could potentially, even a remote potential, but potentially, perhaps, be susceptible to sin. But he never sins. And he's not really practically capable of sinning. You know why? Because he has that layer of protection, namely the Torah. True, how did he come to that? by his diligence, by his working on the study of Torah, by his effort. That's how he came to that point. But practically speaking, or in actuality, in real time, when he's not sinning, why is he not sinning? Because of himself, because of his transformation, or because the Torah is now serving actively as an agent that protects him? And therefore, he felt, I am not inherently a fearer of sin. I am not really a true Yerechet. I act like a Yerechet because I have this agent, the Torah. I cannot take credit for it, and I have to be humble. Why? Because I'm constantly reminded I could potentially commit the sin or be somewhat enticed to do so. It's just the Torah is protecting me. The Torah is providing that cover, distancing me from the sin. And therefore, I am not, a, I am not a, an inherent Yerechet, I am an active Yerechet. And therefore, he was humble. For that, he was humble. 
realizing that he didn't reach the ultimate level, the ultimate plateau. At least this is the way he viewed himself. However, it's obvious that Rav Nachman felt otherwise. And Rav Nachman felt, no, when you reach that point, that you've learned so much Torah, that you're no longer able, you're no longer capable of committing a sin, in Rav Nachman's opinion, you have transformed. You have become a new person. And for that new person that you are, due to your diligence and hard effort, and the hours and days and months and years that you put in in studying Torah, you're not capable of being an anav. Actually, he doesn't hold it. He didn't hold it. You should be an anav. Why? Because that's an achievement. That's you. That's your accomplishment. You got it. You made it. That part of it wasn't given to you. That part of it was your choice that you did. You made the effort. You put in the hard time. And therefore, Rav Nachman only quotes the fear of sin. Because he felt like, yes, his Torah learning, and the same for Rabbi Yossi's Torah learning, was a true transformation. But he couldn't speak for Rabbi Yossi. He could only speak for himself. Because according to Rabbi Yossi's view, it's not a true transformation. And that's why he said, yes, the fear of sin. I'd be arrogant, but I can't be truly humble because I didn't receive this. I made this. I accomplished this. And this perhaps can help us answer why Moshe Rabbeinu could not have even have been in any way, God forbid, delusional that the prophecy that puts him above, a cut above anyone ever, was his doing, because it's something that's given to you. Even if somebody should be on the holiest plateau, on the greatest level possible, like the Rambam writes, you still don't necessarily automatically achieve prophecy. It's not a slam dunk. It's just that now you are capable of it. You are more ready for it. If Hashem, I'm paraphrasing for the Rambam, if Hashem chooses to do so at his time, at his calling, then he gives you the nevuah. So Moshe, felt like he wasn't enough. Yes, because all the other things he had, the Torah study, the, the leadership qualities, the, the, the fear of sin and so on, Moshe Rabbeinu felt, hey, it's not just my doing. That was given to me. And I am not a truly inherently, you know, uh, inherent tzaddik that I can say I truly, truly transformed. Now let's examine Rav Nachman. Why didn't Rabbi Yossi say, hey, there's also the fear of sin, because I know Rav Nachman is fearful of sin. So for this, we actually go into the history of Nachman. Rav Nachman, his mother, was told by the Kaldoi, these are the stargazers, the fortune tellers, that your son is going to be a thief. Which Jewish mother wants to hear that? But they also gave her advice. See to it, that he always has his head covered and pray for him that he turn out okay, that he be protected from this inclination that he has, that he be protect, protected from it. And in fact, the Torah tells us that once his head covering fell off and immediately he felt this urge to go out and do something which is inappropriate. Rabbi Yaisi felt how can this be considered a true Yirei Chet? 
Of course, he did not doubt his colleague. We all know Rav Nachman would have never and never, ever, ever acted on that. But the fact that you constantly need that head covering, you constantly need the prayer in order to hold you back, to prevent you from slipping into this predisposed inclination that you have, means that you aren't inherently a Yerechet, you're just an active Yerechet. You're not inherently a fear, fearful of committing sin, it's just that you don't commit sin. And maybe you never will, but you're susceptible to it. And therefore, he did not say, omit that from the Mishnah, that the era of true fear of sin is, oh, isn't, isn't over yet. It is over. In his opinion, his own fear of sin and that of his colleagues, Rav Nachman, was not the ultimate inherent fear of sin. And therefore, he didn't quote it. So in short, what we've learned in this Mishnah, we're up to the seventh chapter. I paraphrased the last several chapters. What the qualities of true humility are. And how each and every one of us, even the most accomplished, or perhaps because you're the most accomplished, needs to and has to be humble. And what and how to achieve some level, at least that which we're capable of, of fear of sin. That is through study of Torah, through prayer, as we see Barav Nachman, and yes, through having a yarmulke. Of course, you may be looking at me and saying, well, yarmulke, we all have a yarmulke. Yeah, being mahadr in it, being more diligent in it. If you have a yarmulke, have a bigger yarmulke, have a better yarmulke, make sure it's a double one, and so on and so forth. Thank you.